right. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. A beautiful, beautiful day we have outside. Uh, almost Christmas in just a couple days. Unfortunately, the Lord did not give me a Christmas message for this week. Maybe on Tuesday when we have our Christmas dinner, the I'll speak. I will. We'll go through. Have a little something, a little study, but not recorded or anything. But just for today, um, we have some awesome, awesome things. We're going to pull out of Matthew chapter five. But don't turn there yet. Um, just thank you for coming. Uh, before we get into our message, though, I have a couple corrections from last week that uh, I have to discuss. One from my beautiful wife that she was quick to point out after service, and one from our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, that he kind of put it on my heart to talk about uh, afterwards. And I have to apologize for both of them. And uh, anyway, in last week's service, I made a statement about how I do a lot of research into all that I do so that I can make sure that I want to have all my T's crossed and my I's dotted so that I present a message that is without flaws because I want to be a very diligent teacher, very diligent pastor. But still saying that, I can still make mistakes. So the first one, I had quoted a, a verse out of Luke chapter 2, verse 11, and I was talking about one of the many verses that Jesus talks about, or the Bible talks about Jesus being Lord. And I had said that it was a verse talking about an angel talking to Mary. Well, it wasn't an angel talking to Mary. It was an angel talking to shepherds. The context of the many verses being there that you know talk about Jesus being Lord and God were there, but the audience was unfortunately wrong. The second correction uh, came from the Lord. And as I was setting up this teaching for this week, I had, uh, I had prayed like I normally do. And said, you know, Lord, give me what you want me to talk on, and so on and so forth. And as I was receiving all this awesome stuff from the Lord, what today's message is supposed to be about, when I actually got to verse 3, which is where the Beatitudes start, <clears throat> blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven, I couldn't get anything. I was at a loss, like the well had run dry. And I was like, what's going on, Lord? How come I'm not getting anything to say? You know, on the Beatitudes. And I was like, I, I don't understand what's what's going on. I didn't understand until I got to Thursday afternoon. Where I was working on the sermon, hoping to finish up. And here's what God showed me. He didn't want me going into the actual Beatitudes just yet this week. Because he wanted to prepare our hearts by this message before what Christ taught in the Beatitudes starting next week. And I had said several times last week that I was going to start the Beatitudes this week. So now that's not keeping my word. So the Lord kind of gave me a soft rebuke and he said, you spoke presumptuously. What he said that I needed to do is, and i got to be more careful about this, if the Lord wills or God willing and will be here or there tomorrow or the next day or next week. So anyway... I apologize for both of them. Um, from now on, if God wills, God willing, if God wills for next week and so on and so forth. I think the Lord has an awesome message for us this week out of just verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. So, not huge corrections, but nevertheless, still corrections. Still the same. And uh, you know what? Praise the Lord, I'm not above Correction. I still make mistakes. I'm definitely not God Almighty. Far from Him. Um, but I do, you know, in saying that, it gives me another opportunity, uh, a reference for anybody listening here or, you know, online. Uh, we do have a, a website, gospelsavingchurch.com. And at the bottom of that site, I have a contact me for email. And I also have a uh, a phone number, my own phone number, that you could call me if you'd like to talk about anything that I talk about on the sermon, or you know, if you hear something that, yeah, you know, that just didn't sound right, you know, you'd want to call me, or hey, man, uh, you know, I heard you say this in, in last week's service or this week's service, you know, if you want to call me and talk about that, we could sit down and have lunch, or we can, you know, uh, just talk over the phone, whatever, you know. Um, but it is what it is. Give me a call or email me if there's anything you'd like to talk about. Well, praise God. 
that me being perfect is out of the way. So now that we got that all clarified that I'm not perfect, we can move on. Because <laughs> certainly only God is perfect. So I want to pray for today's message and that way we can be ready. And then from there we'll give you the title and we'll, we'll read the verses. So bow your heads with me if you would and pray. Lord, we just lift up this service to you, Lord God. Lift up this sermon to you. And we just thank you, Lord God, that you gave me all the stuff that you gave me for this week, Lord God. Even though I'm only going to be teaching on two verses as I was going to teach on 12 verses, I think that uh, the two verses that we're going to teach on are going to be absolutely power-packed and amazing information. And Although, of course, Lord, I'm only talking on two verses out of Matthew, uh, I've probably got... Our lesson today, our sermon today is going to be probably 50 verses because I'm pulling out of other parts of the Bible just to show what you showed me. And uh, so, Lord, I bless you and I praise you and I pray us being here would be a blessing. And praise unto you, Lord God, as we make those small, as we take those small steps of sacrifice, Lord God, just to be at church every Sunday and to hear your word and to fellowship with one another, Lord. And Lord, I appreciate all you do for us. And I just pray, Lord God, that we would be able to repay you, not repay you, but be, to show you how thankful we are to you just by our lives, Lord God, that we would choose to live them for you. And I pray you touch everybody here, including me, with the message today. As Even as I've gone over the message a couple times since it has been all done, I have added a couple things that you showed me even still yet. So, Lord, I look forward to everything that you're going to add um, up until now, I thank you, Lord God, and I just pray that you would add whatever you want to add or take away whatever you're going to take away. And um, I just pray our hearts would be ready and that we'd listen for what you have to tell us. And that, of course, always, that we wouldn't just listen and hear, but that we would be doers of the word as well too, Lord God. Especially this message, especially, I pray we would be doers of what your message is for us here today. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. So the title of our message today is going to be The Seekers. And it's out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The Seekers. That title is very important to today's message because, just like I prayed, as we hear what God did and as we saw the example of what Jesus did for us and how he did it, the seekers are what we need to focus on today. So read with me Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2. Jesus says, or the Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he, that is Jesus, went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, but we won't get the saying part now. <clears throat> so verse 1, specifically. Seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain. God showed me as I was studying, why did Jesus go up on a mountain? Away from the multitudes that he was with. We have in 425, if you skip up just one verse in your Bible, Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Why would he go up on a mountain away from all these multitudes that he's doing all these miracles, healings, raisings from the dead, demon possessions? Multitudes are following him. Jesus did some amazing miracles among the people. And because as a result of him doing the miracles that he did, people followed him. And in case you didn't know, and I had to make sure I was right on this one because I've been teaching this for years, but the word multitude defined by dictionary.com is a great number, host, a great number of people. The Bible defines multitude as 
thousands of people. And as proof of that, we go to Matthew 14, 13 through 21. We're not going to read it. You don't have to turn, but you can research it. You could just write it down for a reference point later. And in the word multitude is used in verse 13 of chapter 14. But the whole story is where Jesus fed the multitudes of people with five loaves of bread and two small fish. In verse 21, the Bible records of that same verse, that the Bible records that there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So multitudes was mentioned in 13. 21, we see, we see the number behind that word multitude. 5,000 men besides women and children. So it generally, there would have probably been at least one wife for every man. Maybe, maybe not. Close to it. And generally, they would have had their, besides women and children, they would have had at least one kid. There could have easily been and many, anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people that were sitting there that he fed. And they were full. The Bible records that when, they, when he was done feeding them, the miracle he did, when they were done eating, they were full with five loaves and two fish. It's an absolute miracle, but just as a reference point to what does multitude, how do we know multitude meant thousands in the Bible, it just used the word multitude and then 5,000 men besides women and children there in Matthew 13, or 14 verses 13 through 21. So, why did Jesus go up on the mountain privately away from the multitudes? That's the question. We have two reasons. One was so shocking to me, it broke my heart. I hope that that one reason breaks your heart as well too. And the other reason is just kind of a food for thought reason. Number one, the multitudes that Jesus was doing miracles and healings, he, it would have made it pretty hard for him to privately teach, you know, all those people. Number one, ever been in a huge amount of people and trying to hold a conversation? I want to paint this picture for you. Have you ever been in a huge amount of gathering of people, but you're trying to talk to just one person? Ever, th you know, think of that in your mind. It's almost impossible because you're trying to carry your voices above all the different people that are there, hundreds of people that are there. You, you can't do that. So again, it's hard even if you're just trying to talk to one people. Well, these people were all there and they were, they were ready. They wanted Jesus to do something for them too. So he was like the center focus of why they were there too. He wasn't, you know, they weren't just there for like a party and kind of mingling with everybody. They were there. He was there. They wanted everything from him. They were focused on him. Thousands. There could have been, there could have been 10, 15, 20, 30,000 people in this area that he was in. There could have been multitudes. It says in 25 that the multitudes followed him to do what he did. Now imagine thousands of people surrounding you. They're also looking for you to do a miracle. He would have hardly been able to do, to say anything. I mean, Think about it. Last week or a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus was a preacher. Okay? So him being a preacher, they didn't have megaphones back then. You know, even if they would have sat down. I've been in churches where there's been 100 people or 50 people trying to carry a message with no microphone. And it's hard for them. And they're in a building and there's no noise and we're not by a sea and there's nothing. And it would be hard for the person in the back. You have to really have to raise your voice. That'd be for 100 people. How about for a thousand people? It had been impossible for him to sit there and try to, and they would all have been excited about, you know, what he was doing and, and, and things like that. Uh, he also wanted to see, you know, going up on the mountain gave him a chance to, to all the people that were really interested in seeing who he was to go up there to see what he wanted. But, but that will kind of be more on point two. So if you've ever been in a church with 500 or 1,000 or 1,500 people trying to hear the pastor Think about how, you know, you can hear that pastor, but he's got a megaphone. He's got a microphone. It's easy then. You know, you can kind of, and everybody's kind of being, being quiet, but they're without open, so on and so forth. So it would have been hard. So that was number one reason. He goes up on the mountain to get away from all the noise and all the hustle bustle and the people that have been talking and carrying on. And, and think about it. If he's doing miracles, people were probably getting excited. And so they wouldn't have been quiet. They would have wanted to be loud, you know, they're times that he did miracles, people went jumping and leaping and getting excited throughout the whole land. And, you know, so that, that's another reason. 
But the number two reason, this is the shocking one. This is the one that really broke my heart. And this is the one that I hope breaks your heart as well too. See, you see, very few people that Jesus actually did a miracle for ever really followed him. People saw all kinds of miracles. They saw things that he did, raising from the dead, the healings, so on and so forth. And they never really followed him. This is the shocking part. And of course, like you know, I am, I told you I'm a diligent teacher. We have to bring proof of that. So, think in your minds, at the very end, Last Supper, before the crowds came and got him for the Pharisees and leaders sent for him. How many people were walking with Jesus? Eleven. Where were the multitudes? Verse 425, great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from the capitalist Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Well, where were the multitudes? He walked with 12. One Judas killed himself. 11 people at the end. Last Supper, 11 people. Where were the multitudes? Where'd they go? They certainly saw the great things, saw the multitude, saw the miracles, saw the healings, saw the raisings from the dead. Where did they go? Oh, yeah. We find the multitudes screaming at Pilate at the judgment seat when Christ is about to be crucified, screaming for Christ to be crucified and a murderer, Barabbas, to be released. So go with me to Matthew 27. 15 through 26. We're going to read it. We're going to read about that account because I really want you to see the where the multitudes were. So we go Matthew 27, 15 through 26. We start at verse 15. Not the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude, there's the multitude there again, one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Well, Matthew leaves the fact out, but in Luke 23, 19, he adds that Barabbas was a murderer. So Matthew leaves that fact out, but Luke adds it in. Luke 23, 19, he's a murderer. Verse 17, back to Matthew. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called Christ. For they, for, for Pilate knew that, that they had handed him over because of envy. Verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife came to him saying, I have nothing to do with this man, for, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas, remember, the murderer, and to destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then should I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said to him, Let him be crucified. Multitudes. The same multitudes that watched him do all the stuff. They got the healings. Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried all the more. They, the multitude, cried all the more. Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was rising, a tumult was rising, that meant the multitude was getting out of hand. That's how angry they were that he wasn't just submitting and, okay, okay, well, all right, well, we'll just crucify. He wasn't submitting, so they, a tumult, a, 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 a kind of a, a disaster. People were getting angry. They were probably starting to fight. Multitudes. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and upon our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. 
So very sad. But as we just read, just because our Jesus fed those multitudes of people, he did miracles for the multitudes of people, and he taught these people amazing things, because he did teach in synagogues outside of this mountaintop experience here. And the Bible records that the people, when he taught them, were astonished at the teachings of Jesus. Very few people actually decided to make him the Lord of their lives and follow him as disciples. So very sad, but we'll talk about that toward the end of our sermon today. So in essence, the second reason he went up on the mountain is because, now catch this, the second reason Jesus went up on the mountain is Jesus wanted to give an opportunity to all those people that wanted to come to him for more than just a miracle and investigate exactly who he was and what he had to teach and what he had to say to them. He wanted to give, now, now think about this now, because this is going to be the focus on the rest of our whole entire sermon. He wanted to give those who wanted to or who were thinking about becoming his real disciples a chance to seek him. Scripture makes this point very clear in many places, but for just one big, huge reference, we're going to go to Matthew 13, where Jesus gave a parable of a sower in the seed. So if you want to turn to that parable, we're not going to read the whole thing, but Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave a parable of a sower. I know you're probably pleased I'm staying a lot in Matthew. It's easy to turn back from Matthew if you've got your Bible open. <laughs> We're switching back and forth. Praise the Lord, huh? Anyway, uh, parable of the sower and the seed. Jesus, again, has a great multitude around them, and he's teaching them about the parable of the sower and the seed. So he teaches them, and he's teaching this parable. That's what a parable was, a teaching. But it's, it's a, a parable is a teaching that Jesus used. To, he used something real or something that people could wrap their minds around, like he used in this instance, a sower and a seed. People can understand a, a person that had seed and it went out and they threw seed to describe how a person or Jesus or me as an evangelist would go out and sow the word of God. So that was his whole emphasis on this sower and the seed. So he gives this parable. One, he, sower goes out and sows a seed, scatters one seed into the you know rocky soil, then he scatters another seed into the shallow soil that he scatters on the seed and it goes into the tares, it goes into the weeds. Then his last seed goes on a good soil, the good soil. So that's a little bit kind of an explanation on the parable. And then he just gives the teaching, but he doesn't explain it. He just gives this teaching about somebody that's going out and putting out the word of God and that the sower, it's like a seed and so on and so forth. But then, so then he ends. So we start in verse 9 and, you know, we can read it here. Start in verse 9. When he looks at when the disciples... Uh, let's listen to the recording here. Verse 9 of Matthew 13. Jesus ends with the end of the parable. He doesn't give the reasoning, but he says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 9 and 10. The Gospel of Mark adds a little bit extra detail on that. Mark 4.10, I'll just read it for you. The disciples also, not only did they come and say, why do you speak to them in parables? But the disciples also asked him, saying, can you give us the understanding to this parable? Because they didn't get it either. That's important. Keep your eye on that. So go down to verse 11. So we read 9 and 10, back to Matthew 13.11. He answered and said to them, Because it has been given you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. 
least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, least they should understand with their hearts and turn, so I should heal them. Spiritually. Verse 16 and 17, we'll camp out in here as we're getting done. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. But remember in Mark 4.10, the disciples came to him, and not only did they ask him, along with also Matthew, what was it, 13.9 and 13.10, they asked him, they said, we don't understand, can you explain this parable to us? But Jesus said here, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Well, they heard and they saw, just like the multitudes, but they came to him and they were like, well... We don't understand, dude. What's going on? What are you teaching? We don't, can you explain this parable to us? Why did Jesus say in 16, Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear? Because they didn't understand either. There's a trick. I'm getting there. When we come to God and show Him we are interested in Him, for more than just a trick, or you say a get-out-of-hell-free card, and we want to know what he has to say to us, then he will show us. And he allows our eyes to really see. Because we seek. Praise God, he is awesome. Those that seek will find. And you'll find that throughout the whole Bible. So although they didn't understand and they came to him and they said, we don't understand. Can you explain to us this teaching? Notice they're the only ones that came. The multitudes heard the same parable. The multitudes, 10 to 1, I'll guarantee it, didn't understand the parable either. But notice only the disciples came to ask for understanding. Not the multitudes. When we seek, the disciples were seekers. They were seeking him for the answer that although they didn't understand, because how many times do we not understand what God is doing or something his word says, but then we pray, oh God, I want to understand. Please help me to understand what your word means, or Lord, please help me to see what your word means, or help me to have an understanding. I, as I own testimony myself, God reveals stuff to me all the time. I don't understand. Boom. I ask him. I seek him for an answer. Boom. He answers me. He says, oh, this is what it means. And he gives me the understanding. But these people, the multitudes, they were there for the trick. They were there for the miracle. They weren't there for the understanding. They weren't there to really see who Jesus was and what he had for them. They wanted a good trick. They wanted some food. Mm, man, I'm hungry. We got that guy. He's going to feed us. Jesus did a lot of great things and everyone that had seen a great miracle and or been healed or whatever they saw or experienced had an opportunity to come to him and listen to what he had to say on that mountain. But they didn't. But they didn't. So, verse 2. Once those that wanted to seek were there, read verse 2. Right, end of verse 1. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Once the people that were there, that were interested in what Jesus had to say, the seekers, then Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them. So who did Jesus teach? Then, but those who were serious about what he had to teach and those who were willing to come to him and listen. The seekers. Wow. Who does Jesus teach today? But those who are serious about what he has to teach them and those who are willing to come to him and listen. The seekers. Oh, wait. That's the same as then. No difference. Isn't that amazing? God desires for people to listen to him and to seek him. 
He even calls out to people every day, trying to get them to seek him. We're going to take you out of Matthew. Look with me to Acts 17, 16 through 27. Acts 17. Turn there. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Remember that word, seeker. Remember that word, seeker. So start with me. In 16 of Acts 17. A little bit of a backdrop. Paul was waiting for some people. He's on his missionary journey. And he made a pit stop. In Athens, Greece. You guys may know Athens, Greece. It's over there, you know, where Paul was ministering. Very popular place. So while he was there, he's waiting for some people, and he looked around, and he saw the city and the people of the city. Verse 16, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then came certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers that, that encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he has preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, which was a place, and the Areopagus was a place where people would kind of gather and talk about things, just have discussions about new things and old things, saying, may we know this new doctrine of what you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time nothing else, in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So Paul, addressing the Areopagus, he stood up in the midst of them and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Stop there, verse 24. So what he's going to do now in verse 24 He's going to start to tell them about this God that they worship without knowing him, the unknown God. And that's the God that we worship today if you're a Christian. Go to 24. <clears throat> God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord over heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the planet. Speaking about Adam and Eve, he's made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. Listen in on this part real carefully. And has determined their pre-appointed times. That means the times that they'll live. That means the time that you're living right now, God predestined and pre-appointed you to live in 2012 right now, almost 2013, and the boundaries of their dwellings. That means he pre-appointed you to live in this year and in this time and in America and in Texas or wherever you may be listening. God predestined and pre-appointed you to be right here where you are right now in this state right now. Why? Verse 27. So that they should seek the Lord. There's that word again. Seek. In the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. Now this could be a whole sermon all on its own. This part, this one verse right here. But for today, remember I talked about who did Jesus teach, but the seekers. Remember the very statement I said right before I went into this. And that statement was how God even is calling out to people every day, trying to get them to seek. God pre-appointed all of us to be right where we are, exactly in your lives right now, 
So, so that you would. So, what? So, why did God do what He did? Why did He make us to live right now? Why did He make us to live here in Dallas, Texas, or wherever you're listening? Why did He do that? So that they should seek the Lord in the hope. Whose hope? Our hope? Not our hope, folks. God hoping that you and you and me and you and you and whoever else is listening, that you would grope for him. Does anybody know what the word grope means? You have a pitch black dark room. And you can't see a thing. But you know that light switch is somewhere on that wall. Where, where, where's that light switch? Where you're seeking it? You're seeking it. You're looking for it intently. You're groping for it. You, I just know it's here, but you can't see anything. Which is what the Bible says. I go back to we were born in darkness, born in sin, in the dark. But God calling to us from the dark. Hey, you, come to me. I love you. I'm right here. Where? Where? As we start groping, we start groping because he's calling. Where are we? He says, grope for me. In the hope. God is hoping that people grope for him. It's why he put people where he did. So that he would hope that you would grope for him. So that they could find him. Look at the last thing here. Though he is not far from each one of us. So where is God? Oh, I've heard people say, oh, God is just out there and he's he's somewhere out there and he just doesn't even know what's going on down here anymore. But Paul says he's not far from each one of us. Yet in verse 26... He has made from every nation, and he go, verse uh, 25 actually, noise worship men's hands as though he dwelt, had needed anything since he gives life to all and breath to all things. Wow. So he did all that, and yet he still hopes that you seek him, that you grope for him, so that you could find him. Man. God is love, man. God is love. Amen. Like I said earlier about how sad it was that Jesus did all these amazing miracles and healings and teachings. And yet for all he did, the majority of the people didn't seek him nor decide to follow him. They wanted, listen to this now, they wanted all the blessings and miracles that Christ did but weren't willing to go the extra mile to go up on the mountain where he was and listen to him and seek him. The extra mile is where relationship with God and salvation is. That's the extra mile. Because today, there's no difference. It's the same as them. Look at what God has done for you today. He gives you life in your body. He gives you breath in your lungs. In our great country, America 2012, we have automobiles and airplanes and we can see, we have the technology to see into space as far as anybody else in the world, in, it's ever lived on the planet, it's ever been able to see. They, they point this, they pointed this thing years ago, they pointed this thing called, a, it was some kind of Hubble telescope, deep Hubble telescope, and they pointed it to the blackest part of space where there was nothing, they thought. And what they see? But billions more galaxies than they ever thought existed, ever. He gives man the technology to do these major surgeries. He gave man the wisdom and knowledge to go and cut somebody open and, and heal a, an ulcer or a tumor or brain cancer or whatever you have. This, is, this man is not that smart. God gave all this wisdom and did this. Jesus is still doing miracles today. I've laid my hand on people and people have recovered from illness. 
I've prayed for things, my own body problems. I've prayed for own things, and things have happened. God does miracles, healings, resurrections. He's doing it all today. Amen. The Amen. same thing. He's doing it today, just like he did it back then. But why is God doing it all? God's doing it all, just like Acts 17, 27. He's doing it all to make you think about what is next? What's my purpose in this life? What am I even supposed to be doing in this life? What, what, where am I supposed to go? Oh, and he gives and he allows us to have this feeling of emptiness before you know him. Oh, I, what's next? Oh, I, why am I so empty? And you got to grow for all these things, these pleasure things of the flesh that don't ever fill you, but you grow for them anyway. He put that there in you so that you would, in, excuse me, in the hope that you would seek, seek Him. Because He wants you to find Him. How about a God like that? Amazing. Where are we today? Where are you today? Whether you are born again and saved, so as you have a relationship with Christ, or you are backslidden, maybe you knew him once, but you're backslidden away, or you have never had a relationship with Jesus, he wants the one insane thing from every single person on the entire planet, in the whole entire human race. He wants one thing from us all. What does he want from us? He wants us to seek him, in prayer. He wants us to seek Him in His Word. He wants us to seek His face. To either, if you're there with Him, draw near to Him, like that relationship sermon we had a, a few weeks back or a month or so back. Or, to begin again to seek Him if you once knew Him, if you're backslidden and you aren't with the Lord and you once knew Him but you aren't right now. Or, if you've never known Him, He's waiting for you to seek Him and ask Him so that He can reveal Himself to you and show Himself to you and show you that He's real because He wants a relationship with you. God wants Him to reveal Himself to us. The question is, here's the big question. We already read in Acts 17 what God wants. Are we willing to to see Jesus on that mountain and walk up to him and hear what he has to say. Are we willing to do that? Because Jesus is sitting on that same mountain spiritually right now. And he's waiting for people to come. Waiting for them to see him up there. And as I was setting up for this sermon, I'd already had my notes typed out and everything's printed off and I was going over the last thing and you know what God showed me? One more amazing thing about Jesus, about his encounter in Matthew 1 or 5, 1 and 2. You don't go up on a mountain to hide. You don't go up on a mountain to be, get away from people. You go up on a mountain to be seen. Jesus, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. The people, you, you go in a cave if you want to be alone. You go underground or you lay down on the ground and put some leaves or branches over you or something. You don't go up on a mountain. When you walk up on a mountain, people can see you better. So he even gave those people that were there even more of an opportunity because they actually saw him walk up the mountain and still the multitudes didn't come. He's waiting for us to come up on that mountain so that he could open his mouth and teach us. Are you a seeker today? Are you seeking God today? Whether your answer is no, or I used to be, or I am daily, 
Is there any reason why you can't seek more? Or is there any reason why you don't have the time to start seeking because you realize you were once and then you know you realize that he loves you and you want to kind of get back and kind of seek again? Or is there any reason to even not start seeking if you've never known him? To say, you know what? I want to seek this God and see if he's really real. He is waiting for all of us to simply seek him and listen. If you don't come to him now, if you're not with him, or if you're backslidden, it's the same thing. Before your breath ends, you're going to stand before God knowing now after you heard this that you had all the time in the world to seek him but you didn't have time so when you're standing there before God he'll look at you and he'll say here I am oh I'm ready he'll say did, did you want to know me now did you, did you want to know me in your life because I didn't see you even seeking because even the parable of the prodigal son where the prodigal son left away and he was prodigal he was he'd gone away he's backslidden you'd call him a backslider the father was out there looking for his son that was gone away looking for that one that had left him that had gone away just looking for him is, is he going to come back so you have to stand before God and say you know I just didn't have time to seek you think about that Jesus waiting up on the mountain. And everybody sees him up there. See the miracles, see all the stuff. They see him up there. But you just have no time to go up and sit down and listen because you're too busy. What if God would have been too busy for us never to come and to redeem man? Because he came to this earth, he gave up all eternity, and he came, he stepped into time. And he shed his blood on the cross for you and me and for every soul on this planet. And he took his time and he made himself have time because God wasn't even in time. So he gave himself time to come down here and seek you and show you his love. Though he is not far from every one of us. There's no excuses when we stand there. It's not God's fault that you're not hearing from Him. It's not God's fault if you don't know Him and you die and you burn in hell forever because it's not like God didn't do anything to come to you and say, Here I am, please seek me. And all you had to do was grope a little bit. All you had to do was set your heart to grope for that light switch. To grow up for him. Not God's fault. Why you're not closer to him than you are right now. It's our fault. Because we're not going up to him on that mountain. And we're not sitting before him. And we're not seeking him. And we're not reading the word. And we're not praying enough. We're not. It's not his fault. It's ours. God is still sitting there today, like I said earlier, waiting. Come to me. He's on the mountain, making it easy for people to see. All we have to do is turn away from the busyness of life and walk up the mountain. And not only will we have the amazing thing that God, the amazing things that God still will do for you in your life, but you'll experience awesome, amazing, awesome, wonderful things, but you'll also have eternal life and you'll show them that you want them now. If you realize that you're not right or you're backslidden or you're going to stay away from God because you don't live for Him, you don't serve Him, you don't take time for Him in your everyday life, you're too busy 
And that's why God made repentance. Repentance is when you turn away from all that and you say, you know what, I, I got to seek God. I got to start seeking God to show Him that I want Him now. Because remember what I said, if you don't want Him now, if you don't have time for Him now, you're not going to have time with Him forever. You, you'll show Him that you don't want to be with Him for eternity. God made repentance. And He said, turn to me. Come up and walk up that mountain and start seeking me. If that's where you're at, or you were there once and you're not there now and you need to come back. Cry out to Him in your heart and apologize to Him for sinning against Him. Cry out to Him and just say, God, I need you. Please, I need you. And turn to Him and seek Him right now. If you're right with Him right now and you're good and everything is great and your relationship's great and you're seeking Him every day and you're spending time with Him every day, Spend a little more time with Him. You're going to be with Him forever. He'll be there always and you'll be in His presence always. Spend more time with Him. He wants to spend more time with you. He wants you to ask more questions. He wants you to pray more. He wants to reveal Himself to you more. And turn and start doing that now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this message today. Lord, as we start the Beatitudes next week, God, if your will would be that, then I pray, Lord God, that our hearts are now ready to hear your teachings, really salvation teachings, Lord, The people that got to come on the mountain got to hear how to get saved. I pray, Lord God, that the people listening today would even tune in next week so that they would be able to hear how they get saved and how they seek you and how they come to know you more. I pray right now, dear God, for anybody that's listening that's not right, that's not surrendered unto you, that's not seeking you every day, I pray that you would break their hearts, Lord God, and I pray that you would show them how much you love them, and I pray you'd show them your example, that you waited for them then, and you're still waiting for us now to come to you now, to walk up that mountain and to listen to you. And I pray that they would, Lord God. I pray you draw them to you now. You'd start seeking you now. Because you love them. Because you want them to love you. And I pray for those of us that are seeking you every day and following you every day and trusting in you every day. I pray that we would trust in you more and follow you more and show you our love more. Not that we could ever repay you for what you did for us. But I pray that we would just be more thankful every day more and more and more. And we show you that by how we live, how we trust, how we obey. I glorify you, Lord God. I thank you for all that you do for us. And I praise you, dear God, for this message and for everything you spoke today. I pray we land on good soil and that the people that hear would bear 30 and 60 and hundredfold good fruit for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.